Hey, what's up, guys? It's Mark. Welcome back to Bench Units. I am joined by James. He's joining me, in his own words, from Greg's. I told him to bring me a sausage roll. He didn't even get the joke, as will probably any listener of ours who's not based in the UK. James, how's it going, man? Good, thank you. To be fair, I'm not based in the UK. But yeah, this is the first podcast from a... um, This is the first podcast about a sport from a person who plays that sport live from the living room of a person that beat them on the weekend. <laughs> Which is so funny and so weird. So if it sounds a little different, I'm not exactly recording where I normally am. I'm sitting in Greg's living room, living the dream. For a, a person who beat them, and it was such a not even a big deal to them that they've not even turned up to do the guest spot to talk about the game they were involved in. They'd rather just stay in bed and who uh, can hold we, we we he dug us out of some trouble recently in not having a guest spot. So it's the least we can do is leave him alone. But anyway, oh, should we talk about some games? Let's do it. All right. So first one on the docket in Spain was Juventud sixty five, Ferrol fifty one. Um, I have a I have one question as pertains to this game. What is your question? How in the hell? Did this get to 47-47 after four quarters and demand overtime in which Juventus then scored 18 points, which was more than they scored in any of the 10-minute stretches that the game was organised to have? This stuff's chaos, man. I feel like <laughs> the lower down you go in the league, the more chance you have for just absolute mayhem. I have no idea. No idea how this happened, but... Utterly bizarre. I watched the overtime period... Um and yeah, it was just it's incredibly strange, man. Uh Farrell were playing without Carol Jules, who, who I'm not sure what his absence was for, but they got 40 combined points by Anderson Silva and Lorenzo Mbo. Uh so that's the bulk of scoring right there. Uh they just looked you they played those guys and um, what's the other guy's name? Uh, Adrian Roniel is the kind of midpointer, and they had two guards, but their guards were really weak. Mm-hmm. And yeah, they just you watch this game and you're like, How have Joe and Toot not scored like 90? Because they're literally just pushing down the court into a layup for the entire overtime period. I don't know if it was like a fatigue thing. I get, I guess I could have found out by going back and watching the earlier portion of the game, but I sure as hell wasn't gonna go and do that to myself. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> yeah. This was, it was just insane. I'm like, Juventus, I don't know where this offensive explosion came from, but to do that in an additional five minutes of the penultimate game of the season is like, hey, you could have tried this at any point during the year and see how this had gone. But yeah, very, very odd. Um, Yeah, this is a big one for both of these guys. And can I just say, um, Fernando Castilla, I mean, Fabian Castilla, perdón. Um, was he, he didn't start but played 43 minutes and six seconds That's and exactly. had 17, 14, and six, which is hilarious. But, like, yeah, not not starting and playing more than 40 minutes is unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. Um, the other thing with Juventus is they got uh, what's Manu's brother's name, uh, Adrian Lorenzo, they got him. He played 32 minutes and he was plus 20 in plus minus, which I'm sure nobody from Juventus has been plus 20 for any stretch of any game No, this season. Um, obviously, somebody had to win this one. We don't want to spend a huge amount of time talking about it, but 
if anyone is intrigued as to how we got an 18-4 overtime period between the two bottom-dwelling teams of the Spanish League, that five-minute stretch is worth a watch. Yeah, um, that's about if, it. If anyone wants to go back and watch the full thing, more power to you. Yeah. Should we go on? All right, so next one, um, Amiab Albacete, 80, Leganes, 33. So they were not letting... They were not going to let the... Um, the, the title winning party go on another week. They wanted it, they, they wanted it this side of Easter. <laughs> they, um, so they came out with a slightly modified starting lineup. In they went with Ben and Oscar in for Lee and Charlotte, and they just came out five man press against, which is a understandable tactic against one of the slower teams in the league. Yeah. Um, uh, I checked into this game a couple of minutes late because I didn't. The Las Rosas still doing this with one week left in the season. The Leganes home games always start at like three o'clock, and I was like, "Oh, games have started." I joined this game, and it was thirteen nil, and Amiab were pressing. <laughs> I was like, "Okay, yeah, this is there's no no title winning being left to chance here." Yeah, like the very first quarter, the first couple of plays in the first quarter was like win the tip, layup, press, turnover, layup. Um, yeah. press, good defense, lay up, and I was just like, okay, so you're playing Amiab Albazetti, and I don't know what you spoke about all week. You're a well coached team, but like, if their shot chart in the first quarter is the charge circle, yeah, and and they went like they went like inside, 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 then you know the standard progression of like team packs the paint, you kick it back out, Ben makes one on the baseline, and the very next time they go inside back out to the shooter ball back into the next cutter and I was like, oh cool. Yeah, you're you're done here. Like 13 zip. I think the most the most obvious um when I just had the stats up, I pulled the stats up after I saw the game was 13 nil and I was like, right, I'll see what's going on here. And at that point, it's a decent indicator that the press was working when that many minutes into the game, Philipski had 10 shot attempts and Leganes had five. <laughs> yeah, that was <laughs> I was like, yeah, okay, this is um if this is a, a Philipski doubles up the entire team on shot attempts, then I am all in to watch this. Yeah, percent um, pretty tough. They don't really have a whole lot of options, especially canoless. Like they're kind of that they, they wouldn't have gotten near them anyway, but like that's a that's a very horrible, horrible experience being pressed for that long and playing a team that's on a mission. But yeah, congratulations, Amiab, obviously winning the league. I think we kind of knew it was happening for we certainly knew it was happening from a couple of weeks ago when they beat Delunion again but I think yeah. we kind of thought it was happening for a while now and yeah well deserved definitely the best team in Spain so favorite stat from this game Phil plus 29 with no points scored and two shot attempts just yeah. like Charles Xavier out here impacting things with his brain that's like a weird funny bench candidate like plus 29 zero points because that's <laughs> hilarious <laughs> Just like, yeah, press, push, find find people inside, done. Like, right, yeah, not a whole lot more to cover on this one other than Christian Gomez with fourteen to lead um, Leganes. But you look at Leganes's guys who played; they played nine guys, and the closest anyone got to a net zero was two bench players on a minus sixteen. Yeah, and then guys who played progressively heavier minutes were getting into the high thirties on minuses. So. Yeah, tough sledder, man. But yeah, you play that game, you're gonna end up in this minus. <laughs> yeah. Right. Up next. 
This was chaos. Medina this was 71, Mercia 70. Utterly bizarre, man. Especially with Mercia winning the first quarter by 12 and then getting reeled in for the rest of the game. Yeah, did um, you notice the first quarter and a half isn't on the stream? Like, if you go back and watch it, maybe it was on there live, but I went back and watched it, and it was, it was 32-23 or something at one point when I, like, when you first check in. Yeah, I, I actually did the same, because I went to watch it back, because I was watching the various other games they went on, and I joined this one at, I was like, oh, maybe I've already watched into this, and I was like, oh, no, the video's playing back from 0-0. Zero, zero. Um, yeah, this was just I still really struggle after having watched this to know exactly what was going on because Jose Leap played only 10 minutes. So he played the whole first quarter and was minus 12, as was the score for Madiba at that point. They then went to their one bench guy, Mozuko Zibi, who is taller but a markedly worse player than Jose Leap. And they pulled the game back by 13 over 30 minutes from that point. And it was... It was predominantly Salvador Sandoval who had maybe his best game of the season. He had 33 and was 14 from 25 shooting-wise. Yeah. Um, he ultimately hit, I think he hit two free throws to put them ahead, two free throws to put them ahead again, and then he hit the game winner or some form- formulation of those three. Yeah, I think that was it. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, man, he was just, he was kind of way more effective than anybody who was playing the inside roles for um, Mercia. So they got, Mercia got 12 points from Lalo who fouled out and he wasn't out there for the last like handful of minutes to close the game. They got 25 minutes and one point from Pablo Zazuela. And I think this, if you can point to any one thing as a bit of a slip up for Mercia, as the culprit of the slip up for Mercia in this game, it's the fact that as we've seen against some other teams, they're, Bigs are generally okay against most teams, especially when Lee and Quacken Robles are both scoring relatively well from the perimeter. Yeah. Which was the case in this game. Their bigs are okay against most teams, but I think they've struggled against the physicality of Madiba's bigs here. Oh, for sure. Um, Pablo, especially. I mean, like one point from a guy playing 25 minutes and presumably just shooting layups and created opportunities is not the kind of contribution you need, especially yeah. to match them. And yeah, I thought, um, what's the guy's name who came in for Lalo? Uh, Jose Sanchez. I thought he came in and played a decent role. But Yeah, man. he. They've had a couple of games. They've had a couple of games where he's come in fourth quarter and, and it hasn't been file trouble. And I've kind of wondered what the deal was, but it took me a minute to be like, oh yeah, fifth file, that's why. But um, also worth noting that about a minute to go, in this game, Mercia Ball in a one possession game, there's a turnover into an unsportsmanlike. And yeah. I don't know if you go from, if they think they were down one at that point, if you go down one with the ball to giving away a pair of free throws and, the, and a possession when there's only, in theory, two or three possessions left in the game, very, very low chance that you're going to be able to pull it out just statistically. Like you've just completely like, I don't know, you've skipped further down the line of your end game scenarios where you're like, okay, no, we we're in trouble here. We we've gone from score stop score to like, no, we need a miracle. But yeah, it's um it's about as impactful. Obviously, the we've talked about how we're not fans of unsportsmanlikes being called 
so late in games because they completely skew the the possession battle yeah. to a, a point where it becomes unrecognizable. But I thought I certainly didn't think this one was an invalid call as an unsportsman like. But no, I, I just don't like um, I don't like unsportsman like calls um, when people are trying to file in an end game. But this was like turnover. I think it was Lourdes or they got put her foot plates through whoever stole the ball like completely. Like that's an unsportsman, like that's what it's meant to be. But it's just the thing of you've gone from you've gone from you have two possessions left to you have like one less than before. Like you yeah. have, you've gone from plus two to minus one in a possession game. <laughs> but, yeah. yeah. Um yeah, I thought this was a couple of things I thought on this. So Lee had twenty two. Fucking Robles had 23, so those guys get 45 points on a combined 40 shot attempts. That's decent, if unspectacular efficiency. Um, Mercia as a whole got 62 shots, which is seven more shot attempts than Madiba. They shot 43% to Madiba's 50. The killer was Madiba getting 25 free throw attempts to Mercia's nine, Um, although Madiba only hit 12 of their 25, so slightly under 50%. Giving giving away a plus 16 free throw advantage and a plus 5 in makes is about as clear of a formula to give away a 12-point lead over 30 minutes as you could could hope. It's just just weird. I wouldn't have, like, I wouldn't bet the house on Madiba beasting Mercier inside every game. Like, like they have four big lineups and stuff, but just yeah. absolute quality. Sandoval was unbelievable, and Johnny's obviously amazing. We're big John Hernandez fans, so yeah, yeah. Re- I thought relatively quiet from Johnny. He was the second best scorer in this game with eighteen. Um, he had eleven rebounds and seven assists as well. With Jose not really doing anything. Um, but yeah, man, I thought I was disappointed for Mercier in this one because I think that you you would struggle to convince me even following this that they're not the better team, top to bottom. Yeah. Uh, they're now tied with Gran Canaria in the standings for fifth and sixth, which I find a little bit weird because I think Mercia started out hot, Gran Canaria started out not so hot, and they've gradually kind of floated together um, by this point in the season. But I would, I think Mercia will probably finish fifth overall because I think they have an easier final game. But this one was certainly, man, I've. I would have hoped they would pull this out just from a team maturity and composure standpoint. Um, obviously, it doesn't count for a whole lot now, but you want to close the season well because it they've built everything pretty well up to a point in the yeah. season, and it would be a shame to see it go away on you know a couple of blown blown games like this. Yeah, fair enough. All right, cool. next one. Let's do it. Speaking uh, of Aaron. speaking of what, sorry. Speaking of Gran Canaria. Yes, so Gran Canaria 70, Amivel Reyes Gutierrez Malaga 56. So this was another big Ramon A game, 27 points on 50% shooting, 12 for 24. Only got to the line three times, which is about 10 less than I feel like he normally gets. Um, um, Salazar with 17, 16 rebounds. Um, Luigi with 10. And then 10, 10, 9, and 8 for Luigi. That's a decent, decent line. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. 10, 9, and 8. Unbelievable. <laughs> Other side of the ball. Esparza 19 with 8 from 19. Um, Kyle with 11, 5 from 13. And Cozarina 8 from 18 for 16 points. And then so the, story, the story here is Malaga 
when I, I realized they'd lost to Gran Canaria, I was like, oh, they must have used all their stats in the um the win over Amiab last week and they must be running on statistical fumes. Then I looked at the box score and I was like, actually they scored more points in this loss to Gran Canaria than they scored in their win against Amiab, which is a bizarre sentence to say. Um, yeah, they just couldn't stop Gran Canaria, man. There were points where like Ram and I would get going and the game it was pretty even and then at one point there was just a run where I felt like Salazar was inside five times in a row, made them all and then you know, you get into Grand Canaria at their best when, well, any Grand Canaria team over the last couple of years have been at their best when it's like, okay, now you have to jump this guy, pick ball movement, open shots, you're getting the ball to the weak side for Raul um, who, three from seven, I feel like, I probably thought he was like four from five, but um (laughs) Uh, yeah, <laughs> Luigi hitting Luigi hitting his spot ups too, but yeah, I think if you're generating twenty seven and seventeen between your two main scorers, and then forcing rotations, that's kind of when Grand Canaria get all their good stuff. Yeah, I think Luigi the last couple of games has stepped up. Um, he's got progressively better as the season's gone on, and it's been the biggest swing factor for uh, Grand Canaria. But yeah, I think it's interesting. These teams got essentially identical number of shot attempts. Uh, so it was 63-62. I think the column is cut off in the stats. Uh, that does look like a three, correct me if I'm wrong. 65-62. Um, to 65-62. So, um, yeah, I mean, they got they essentially balanced each other out possessions-wise. The shooting percentages were 50-41. to 41. And, yeah, Salazar's rebounding and looked extremely... I don't know if problematic for Malaga is how you would put it because it wasn't like he was dominating offensive rebounds wise, but there was such long stretches of the game where it felt like Salazar got every rebound. And typically the pattern for Gran Canaria has been some variation on Salazar grabs rebound, Ramone gets layup. Yeah, Um, that's the thing. Like in a game like this that was like, oh, this is close to like, oh no, it isn't. I feel like Gran Canaria got maybe the 14 point of difference in this game there were probably seven seven like two pointers in between breakaway layups or putbacks or like miscommunication and like slips to the basket and stuff like that like they probably got 14 points of freebies and i know that's probably about what you give up in the average game between things like that but like there were a lot of like one-on-ones or whatever also random funny thing here i thought it was like quite good but also it made me laugh like um Grand Canary got up sort of high single figures to 10 Kyle hit one three on and I just called a timeout immediately he was like no no no, we're not doing this and I actually I, I quite liked it like I'm, I'm laughing at it because it was just funny how he was like no 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 but also yeah. I like it it just being like hey we're not we're not letting them we're not letting them have this but it's similar to um I can't remember if I ever told you about this do you remember when Davis Batans used to play for the Wizards? Yes. And they used to yeah, shoot never missed. shooting drills after practice. And they were like, yeah, we shoot spots and like try and beat each other to 10. And we basically only shoot while he's on zero. Because if he makes his first one, then he's going to catch us up anyway. <laughs> and it's like, what is going on here? I wonder, I like if, I wonder if that's like what um, Han I was seeing when Kyle made that one. He's like, "Oh no, that one's gone down." That ultimately ended up being the only one that Kyle, the only three that Kyle made in the game. Yeah. Um, I like the, the timeout. If you're gonna win by, 
if you're up by less than 10 and someone hits one three, you don't, I, I, I like not risking that he rolls down the floor and pulls another one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I th- think it was interesting. I thought a slight wrinkle from Grand Canaria compared to what they usually do is defensively, they, and especially following that timeout, they kind of used Ramonet on who was hot at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. between Kyle and Esparza, which I don't think a lot of teams kind of toggle those matchups. I think most guys are just guard your, your guy of equivalent classification or mobility or whatever it might be. But, or go to your yeah. spot. <laughs> yeah, play your spot. Um, but yeah, I thought they did pretty well using Ramonade to put him on the ball and especially the stuff where it's like Esparza brings the ball down the floor, has Ramane on him, and then they're having to send the only guy who's got a realistic chance of coming and setting a screen on Ramane was Cazorinia in a lot of those cases. And it's like, okay, that's you've got eight and a half points there dedicated to. I know Cazorinia is a junior, so let's call it seven and a half points, but you've got seven and a half of your 14 and a half point dedicated to trying to get this one defender off the ball. Is you know, you've you're wasting seconds of your offense there and, you know, pulling yourself out of position and all that stuff. Yeah. And I thought, I thought this was a good defensive game from Gran Canaria, if not Malaga's best offensive performance, although still a better offensive performance than they had against Zamia, which is weird. Which is still just crazy. But yeah, I think that's a good point. You're kind of like, you're pulling, you're taking time off the clock. You're stopping someone, you're stopping a score and you're also just pulling people out of position. You're pulling resources towards places that they don't really want to put them into. You'd ideally like people going to the basket or spotting up or doing whatever they're meant to do. And if they're like, oh, I have to go and get this guy off my shooter's foot blit. Yeah. yeah. Fair enough. Cool. All right. So Should we move on? Let's do it. Next one. Uh, via the late 64. Ego 58. Yeah, this was... Uh, I feel like Vigo have returned to their early in the season form of hey, let's just try and make this one surprisingly close. Yeah, that's it's it's weird. <laughs> yeah, that I mean it, it's it is weird until you realize Julio Villas was the top scorer in the entire game and he had twenty two points on seventy percent shooting, most of yes. which just dumped down layups because apparently Vidalid haven't watched Vigo all season. Yeah, um, like they don't know. Yeah. <laughs> now they do. Um, he's just he's really good at that. Like he I think he got he got going against us. I think he was nine from twelve against us in the first game of the season because obviously you're playing an Alejos team who and you have to put so much attention on that, which they obviously did. He yeah. they kept him under twenty, which is a mad thing to to say that matters, but yeah, kept him yeah. under twenty, seventeen and thirteen is still nuts, but like But he only had five assists as well, or if you told me that Villas had made 10 shots, I would be like, oh, that's probably 10 assists from Alejos right there. But yeah, um, yeah I think it was interesting. They Vigo haven't lent very heavily since um, Josh Meyer arrived mid-season. They haven't lent very heavily on the Isan Betton court and um, now a Brown lineup, but they started that one presumably to match up against um the kind of height that Vidalid bring when they start Yelma. Yeah. Um, but that lineup didn't do a great deal for them. And Betancourt, biggest guy on the floor, even with Yelma out there, he was one from seven, had two points and three rebounds. And just, especially when I thought the swing point of that game was late first quarter when Vigo stuck with this lineup a little too long and Vidalid brought the 
CJ for Yelmer sub, which is kind of their their go to move, and Vidalia just so much quicker in that sense that I mean that was the point. The Betancourt lineup was minus eleven, and it felt like at least kind of five six points of that swung in the final couple of minutes of the first quarter and. I don't know, man. I think it was a weird move by Vigo who kind of lent into their mids lineup late in the season and I think maybe overthought it for themselves in this game and well, like, oh, we have to do something to match up. It's like, no, just, I think just play the play the lineup you obviously trust most. Yeah, and also if you're doing something to match up against a big when that team then goes slightly smaller and you think your smaller lineup has been better for the last couple of years, that might be a good way to go back small. I don't know, like obviously... These things are not completely binary, like. <laughs> but, yeah, um, closer than I thought it would be. But yeah, Vigo have been very good recently at sort of dragging them into the sort of. This is a question that well, I don't know. I don't know. It'd be interesting to see. We need to run. We need to go back and like look into it. And no one wants to do that. But like, <laughs> uh, like de- how they did defensively with the bigger lineup versus the sort of just five. Bigs, you yeah. know, how they did with the, um, Jason Betancourt and Nava Brown in versus uh, the two mids because I don't know, like keeping keeping by the lead, who can really get going to 64? I wonder, yeah. it's a question I had based on watching another game that we'll get to, but I'm like, is five mids you just like your absolute best chance of getting stops? And I think that's been proven throughout the years, but I wonder. Yeah, I think it is that I just think, black and white at this point. I think I think it's one of those things where that's your best chance of getting stops across a broad range of opponents. I think it is still very much up for debate game to game. Um Yeah, because you gotta think like, but I don't know if there's ever like a three big and two ones lineup that like has been elite at stopping like a mids lineup, but you can certainly say the opposite's true. Oh, that's a very large scale question, but like I mean, in the half court, like obviously press lineups are different, but I just wondered. Yeah, no, that's an interesting one, actually. We will have to get some quantitative research into that. Um, imagine doing that. Yeah. On the vital on the side. Uh, By the league, balanced. who won the game and who we haven't spoken about yet? Um, pretty <laughs> balanced scoring. Adrian Perez with 15, um, 11 from Yelma. Then 12 from CJ and 13 from Maxi Ruggeri, both off the bench. Uh, Romo kept quiet with four. Um, and he just kind of, I think, against his old team, I don't know if they game planned for him particularly well, or you could argue they game planned for him and played into his hands by letting him facilitate and set everybody else up, which is certainly what it felt like at times. Yeah. Um, he didn't end up with a whole lot of assists, but it felt like Vidal had got Vigo into rotation a lot. And to say that they obviously came out intent on matching it with Yelmer. Yelmer only played 22 minutes, but he was plus 15 for Vidal in his minutes. So he had the the intended effect. Um, yeah, also, true. shout out to Vidal for not missing a free throw in the, the entire game there. Seven from seven as a group. I love that. Yeah, outside of that, this was pretty much as you would have expected this one to go. But I thought the the lineup stuff was interesting at the at the very least. And I think Vidal it looked a little bit rocky at points in the season when they didn't know when to deploy Yelmer and CJ in turn for one another. But I, I think there's increasing evidence they've they've kind of figured that out. So 
hopefully they get to roll it back next year. I don't know if Yelmer will still be a junior next year, actually, or or if that matters. I don't know. Um, I guess it, we'll find it out. It probably matters, yeah. Um, we'll I'm sure it does matter. What's that? I said we'll find out in the off-season. Or next season. Yeah. Um, right. Yeah, all right. Last one in Spain. This was, oh, what a game. Uh, this was Illunion 94, Bilbao 91. And man, I really thought we were going to do it at some points, but yeah, they just had enough to take it on. We missed um, a shot at the end to to uh, take it and had to send them to the line for two. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So they were up. I think Bill made the last two free throws with zeros on the clock. Did he not? And yeah, um, pretty much. Yeah, and I I watched this game from. Nil nil to eighty two seventy that you guys were up with six minutes left, uh, at which point I had to take over looking after Delilah. So I was like, I will turn the game off because this one is in hand. And then you were outscored twenty four nine in the final six and a half minutes, and I was like, what is what has happened here? Um, I yeah, went. They got going. They got going big time. And Bill was the main difference. I thought he kind of nailed a couple of tough post ups, and I thought. Illunion went, they kind of just tried to outmuscle you guys for the last few minutes and they went with the Terry, Bill, Hasso, Greg, and um, Pablo. Carolina. Oh, Pablo. Sorry. Yeah. Pablo. Um, and yeah, and they they really just overloaded the strong side and they went Terry, Hasso, pick and roll, Bill in the middle on a lot of those and they were able to turn that and Pablo's picking and screening, they were able to turn that configuration into layups for Greg on a couple of occasions, and that's such a tough thing to take away when you've got three bigs, you know, one spot away from each other and a shooting threat spaced as far away as they can reasonably be who can just cut for a layup. Yeah, if everyone's like, hey, help off a one, all right, cool, but you better not blow this because Greg's yeah. over there. <laughs> like, Yeah, man, and they, I thought Illunion... If you watched a couple of their made, if you were able to clip together just a montage of their made shots, it could look a bit hero ball-y with Terry making a couple of tough ones. Bill made a mad fadeaway over Assier, I think, if memory serves. Yeah. Um, but I think if you actually watch that stretch, they really got you guys rotating and moving around, and that's why they're they were able to get Greg those shots they did. I think because. They weren't content to just kick it around behind screens. They were really trying to get you guys chasing the ball, um, which you'd managed to stay out of for like 34 minutes. And they they got just hot enough to make you panic, I think. Um, uh, understandably so, given that they were making everything at that point. But That's the thing. At, at that point, you can't just go... Ah, cool. If they make it, they make it. I think you gotta yeah. you have to like you have to make them do something great down the end of the clock, down the end of the game. And they did. As you said, Bill was great. Greg hit a couple of big ones. Terry, they just have so many, like like most other teams have like, oh, if this one guy digs them out of it, they'll be fine. But there were and, um, three people that were able to dig them out of trouble. But we still we had a layup to they were they were four from eight threes. We didn't make a three. We shot a higher percentage of them than them from two, and we still had a short post up to win the game that we just happened to miss. So I feel yeah, well, certainly feel a I lot actually, more encouraged than I did the last three times they've beaten us this season. 
I thought you guys were much more ready for them and I I thought you guys particularly did a good job. It's something we touched on last week of like when the other team makes a sub, can you wring the advantage out of the like 90 seconds to two minutes in which the guys who've just come in are getting acclimatized to the game? Um, And I thought you guys did that really well, especially second quarter when they went to Danny... Not Danny, sorry. Uh, yeah, Danny Diaz, not Danny Six, and Sarah Revuelta and went the three big line that way. And you guys turned transition on them, and Manu had about twelve straight points. It felt like, yeah, um, were, that lineup was minus seven in three minutes. Yeah, um, and you guys you got ahead by it says eight here was I don't know that's that big different. You guys got ahead by twelve, and they just turned turned the turned it up. But you guys had had kind of three and a half quarters of figuring them out and figuring them out. And I thought maybe calling it the biggest play might be a bit much, but I thought when Hasso fouled Assier on that layup and they they thought about going Danny and Sarah back in and ultimately they just went Tom for Hasso, so they went a point under in their closing lineup. Yeah. Um, and then on your guys' final possession, it was, I think, Chema missed a short post up Pappy got the rebound tried to put it back and Tom was able to dislodge the offensive rebound and tip it to Bill and it's like that's a massive play from a guy who's you know Tom's not a small guy by any stretch but he's just you know Hasso was out there specifically to wrestle with the Pappies and the offensive rebounds of the world and Tom just came in and stole maybe the biggest rebound well definitely the biggest rebound of the game yeah, I, I I couldn't see that from the bench. Uh-huh. Very funny, but um, <laughs> but also there is something funny if you phrased it like, "Hey, we're going to put you in, and you might need to get this rebound instead of Hasso." How do you feel about it? You'd be like, "All right, cool," but obviously it's fouled out, so it couldn't have been there. But yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, I had a laugh at one point. Me just saying that I wanted to tell this story that makes me laugh. So I went to we were running a set or something, and I went to the left corner and I obviously predominantly played on the right side and Tom and Greg were there and they were like, what are you doing over here? You're not meant to be here. And just at that point, uh, Adrian Garcia's wheel blew up. So we had to switch to our four big lineup. So they subbed me off and I was like, oh yeah, meant to be over there. (laughs) This is unbelievable timing. What are you doing here? You're not meant to be here. And then they called to sub me and I'm like, ah, yes, back to my spot. As if the coach had just been like, oh yeah, those guys are right. He's not meant to be over there. Yeah, um, very funny. But yeah, man, hell of a game. And hopefully, because yeah. if the Capital Rice stuff goes right, we might cross over with them in a semi final. And hopefully, we've learned a little more than we did in the last three games, losing by 20 odd. Yeah. So, yeah, this this certainly, this certainly looked like you guys had, had taken on board some lessons learned. And if nothing else, the lesson you learned was rack up 64 points in the paint and see if that's enough to hang around. Um, what we try and do. Ultimately, it wasn't because ninety-four, ninety-one, no buckets left behind approach. Um, but yeah, I thought you guys played pretty well. They're just that closing run. You could time capsule that, and you could, you know, put that in a, a seminar as to how how to run late game offense effectively. Yeah, and yeah, we we touched on him, but shout out to Gregman with twenty-eight points and eleven assists. Yeah, um, shout out to Greg, 28-11, and letting me stay in his house for a couple of days. 
<laughs> I'm gonna say if that's if letting him if letting you stay isn't the cherry on top of the belt, I don't know what would be. Yeah. Right. All right. Cool. Um let's move to Germany. Uh Landil sixty six, Hanover sixty. So that's Landil going through to the German final. Hanover's season done, I believe. Well, no, they've got a year league three. Hanover they? got a year league three, but yeah, speaking of games where we thought somebody was thought the underdog was going to nick it, I I really believed this was happening right up until Hanover didn't score a point for the first five minutes of the fourth quarter. Yeah. Um, and yeah, this was the. It feels like we've watched these teams play a thousand times when this was really just the fourth game, but. Each game has felt so multifaceted in terms of how they've. I think of any of the matchups we've watched all year, this has felt like the one where the teams have paid closest attention to countering each other with lineups and really knowing the other team inside out, apart from maybe Landil and Thuringen, who obviously go back years and years of, of tinkering with lineups against each other. Um, yeah. But yeah, I thought Hanover came out certainly there for the fight and they hung around for the first quarter when it, it looked pretty dicey for the opening minutes. It was like 6-0 Landil at one point and I was like, okay, Landil might not be messing around here. Um, it ended up even after the first Hanover up by five at halftime, uh, having gone to their mids lineup for a decent chunk of that. And this is what this is like maybe the, the basketball romantic in me, but I have the same thing with like Jan Haller on this team as when Chema shows up big for Bilbao in a Bilbao game. And it's like there's nothing more wholesome than when the guy who's like the spirit animal of the club has a game where it's like, hey, we're not losing this one. Yeah. And Jan Haller was great in this game. Um and yeah, the mids lineup really hung around for Hanover. They we're up by five at halftime, up by four after the um, third quarter, but that was with it having been cut all the way down and then building the lead back up again. And I was like, they just have to hang on. And then Tommy Bummer had been very quiet all game and was like two from 10 after three quarters, and he came out with three straight makes. Yeah. And I was like, I, I think Landell have that thing you have with when the favorites come in the, you know, kind of ramp up to make a couple of shots or whatever and every single thing that goes right for them or wrong for the underdog feels like you're only ever tiptoeing away from the floodgates being opened. Um, yeah, it must true. be terrifying being like, oh, this is coming. Yeah, yeah. This, is, this is on the way. And um, Tommy made a couple, Rose subbed in and instantly made her first shot. And I think she then missed a couple in a row, but the fact that she subbed in and made her first one, I think feels far more weighty than it actually is points value wise because I think that spooked Hanover a little bit um, and yeah man I thought Hanover really did well to hang around and had they made I remain convinced had they made one or two baskets in that opening five minutes of the fourth quarter that might have been enough to swing this from a momentum standpoint but uh, you can't have five scoreless minutes against Landil. <laughs> no, you can't. And I think the thing is, obviously, massive, a massive swinging point of this is Sean Norris played the first 25 minutes in a row. They were plus three, and then he hurt his finger, I think. Um, yeah, I was going to ask you if you knew what had happened there. Um, yeah, it looked like, a, looked like a cut or something, like it, but it was bad enough that he had to stay out. But he 
comes out of the game, doesn't go back in. They're plus three, and not long after that, I would say, yeah, a while after that, you see Landell kind of tinkering with lineups, and yeah, they I go think- for the, they go to their press lineup, and I think that's an interesting one because a lot of Hanover's best lineups, and they're when they're playing their best, they've got a lot of like secondary creation, and like they've got five guys on the floor who can like make like two dribbles and a good decision is what I've heard someone describe it as where it's like they can kind of catch the ball off a swing and like shoot pass or dribble it but I think there was a point where maybe not intentionally but it maybe so it looked like Landil kind of smelt blood a little bit where they were like all right cool these guys are missing Sean Norris if we go up with our press lineup and see how they handle it let's see what happens here and um kind of worked <laughs> yeah yeah, it, it wasn't even didn't it, it wasn't even in the press. They just ended up being like, "All right, cool. This press is going to break down at some point, but you'll not you'll not have time or space to generate good offense in the half court." And I yeah. think that really kind of took it away from them. Like if you look at, I know um, Simon played in a couple of different lineups, but you look at him plus six Rose, who I think only exclusively played in those minutes with plus eleven. Like I think I think Rose had one stretch in the first half. Um, but other than that, I think she basically played the final like seven-ish minutes, seven or eight minutes of the game. Um, yeah, I think it's cool being like, all right, cool, let's turn this defense up a notch and see what you've got if you need to dig into, if you need to dig deep and hit some big ones without yeah. John Norris, your most like one of your most experienced big game players. Obviously, they've got a load of guys there that have been in big games. You've got Mariska Bayer who's won everything. Like you've got a load of guys that have played Paralympics, but like yeah, you want the ball yeah. in Sean's hands in the moments like that, I guess, and him not being on on the floor was, yeah, was big. I think, uh, think Landell recognising that's cool. I think the Mariska point is particularly interesting because she she obviously features very heavily in that mids lineup that Hanover do rely on, but I think her she's not had a lot of offensive output throughout either of the games in this series, and I think it's really when you talk about like going against the press lineup or whatever, or Hanover having their five mids out there. Mariska's at her best as kind of a, you know, you're probably not getting inside against Guntner and Rio um, in that opening lineup. And then when you go against the mids, you know, getting the opportunity to shoot a post up over either Tommy Bomer or Quinton Zantinger isn't exactly a, hey, give me the ball. And I think Mariska's offensive outlets got a bit snubbed out in this one um, just because of the kind of quality across the board of the the Landil defense. But I think in slight counter to that, we've seen it a couple of times in the games these teams have matched up where Tom McHugh, to a lesser extent in this game, I thought he came on and played his role in a small sample. But I think Hanover potentially have really found something in being able to go against Landil in the future with the kind of Tom McHugh and Alex Budo lineups being able to at least keep a lid on the Landil bigs to some extent. Um mm-hmm. I've I've been on record at various points this season of thinking saying I think Alex Bud in particular is awesome. Um and yeah, they kept the bigs at bay for a decent chunk of the game. Uh Rio and Guntner ended with 16 and 14 respectively. And Guntner actually in that killer stretch for Landil, he had six. Sorry, excuse me. They um Landil kind of got back in the game. Hanover composed themselves and got a couple of quick baskets, and Guntner then scored six straight points to edge Landil back in front to kind of an insurmountable lead to close the game. And 
Yeah, I I mean, I texted you about it the other day, but I said if you're, you know, the German national team coaches and you're watching some of the guys in this game, you're feeling feeling pretty good about things going forward. Oh, 100%. Yeah, man. Um, I think they're in camp this week, so. Yeah. Um, God, love, God love everyone going into camps this week after, like, just in the biggest part of the season. Um, uh, yeah, I think the, the other thing I thought was interesting is I, I was trying to remember how the German playoffs went last year, and it was... I don't know if you remember, there was the weird COVID-stricken series between these two teams where like, both Hanover and Landil were playing to like 11 or 12 points. Yeah, with like six people on, the, like six people on their squads. And yeah, I think Hanover obviously made the one of the biggest additions last summer in adding Sean Norris. And you could say, oh, well, they got bounced in the, you know, the first round of the playoffs by the same team they did last year. And it's like, yeah, they lost two games to Landil by a combined nine points and... I am not convinced is too strong of a word, but you could certainly persuade me that they would have pulled this one out had Sean been able to stay in the game. Yeah, I don't um, know, but certainly a lot closer. He was plus three in his minutes. I'm sure he's allowed to think that. Um, <laughs> yeah, you obviously, it's tough to measure progress to the top in Germany because the top two teams are so far ahead of the field. But I think as Hanover's season wraps, you can certainly say they closed the gap on on the top two to not an inconsiderable extent. Oh, 100%. All right. So, shout out to Hanover. Congratulations to Landil. Wonder yeah, who man. they'll be playing in the German League finals. Let's find out. Yes, so they will be playing Durgen because Durgen 74, Rhine River Rhinos 59. So, I was watching, I was watching this last night and it was kind of weird. Like, in the beginning, it felt like for whatever reason, Turingen just either couldn't get going or weren't really... I don't know, they just felt like they weren't firing and that kind of... I think I think there's a lack of respect when you beat the same team by 27 this time last week. And uh, I'm not calling Thuringen out for that. I think that's a very human nature thing. It's tough to get 100%. out of it. But it was very funny watching them not really be able to get going. Like Just little things like Toprak came off a pick and just went straight to the basket like immediately. Like They gave up a couple of layups and they were trying different things and they put Jordi in to see if they could get going and this, that and the other. And then it was funny, like some point in the mid second quarter, they were like, all right, cool. Press lineup done. And I kind of like, I'm a big fan of teams that are like, we're going to press defensively to see if we can get moving on offense. And I don't know if it like, it didn't juice their offense that much. They had 16 in the first quarter, 18 in the second, but kept uh, Rhinos to 10 in the second quarter. And if you look at that, like, that was their big, their two quarters that they won by eight. Um, and yeah, man, just if you're going to keep Rhinos under 60, like Durgan are always going to score above 65, 70, aren't they? Like someone's going to get going. Like Holly's get 19, Joachim at 15, um, Jens with 10, Jordi with 10, and then twos, threes, fours across the board, Vade with eight. Like, yeah, okay. Everyone okay. got going. Joachim Linden filling in on his own gimmick for us and managing to snag being a plus 21 in a game the team only won by 15. Yeah, <laughs> being five from nine and the four he missed being not shots that weren't that important and the five being like, yeah, I need these because it'll either really help us or it'll kill the other team. Um, I was talking to someone about this. It was like, yeah, he only hits the big ones, doesn't he? Um, <laughs> but at this, at this time of the season, they're all big, so he's shooting 55%. Um, yeah. But yeah, they managed to get going. But it, it, I find it like 
second quarter. I mean, mid first quarter even wasn't it? They ended up with some sort of like, um, Vahid, Hubert Hager, Fishback, uh, Jordy and um, Marie right. Kier lineup, and then they took Jordy out and put Bodniak in. And I was like, you're a point under in the first yeah, quarter of the, of the semi-final game. They don't care, man. They, I don't even think they... I think they only loosely pay attention to the points rule in wheelchair basketball. Um, but yeah, I think this was... There was echoes of last week's game in this one in that Rhinos were able to... We talked about last week how um, Rhinos were kind of able to keep the game close into the mid-20s and then it starts to slide away from there. Um, I don't know if that's is it the mental toll of having to battle somebody like Thuringen? Maybe, you know, that it's they're just certainly difficult having done it recently. You're like, Oh my God, these guys don't, these guys just don't stop beating the life out of you. Yeah. It's funny how we always talk about teams that play like super physical and super hard all the time. And it's like, yeah, it's the like good, but not great on the European scale, teams like Lecane and San Stefano and those guys. And it's like, oh, Thuringen might actually play harder and faster than all of those teams and also just be so good at the basketball elements of it that it pales in comparison. Yeah, um, it's like, do you need that extra 10% to get you to be like an okay team or do you need that extra 10% to get you over the hump? <laughs> like, Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and yeah, I think Rhinos, they're able to make enough shots to hang around in this game. They certainly weathered the storm a little bit better when I think it felt like they let go of the rope at a point last week because they were just getting completely and utterly pummeled by the um, the bigs. But yeah, I think they obviously don't have enough to subsist on any kind of inside game. They got 20 points in the paint for the game. Um, they only allowed 30 for the balls, which I think is relatively good going because Thuringen can very easily get, you know, towards 50 points in the paint on any given game. Um, they kept Vahid relatively limited, but Rhino's got 15 from Toprak, 14 from Juice, 11 from Moji Kamali, who started in place of Heiss in this game. They yeah. got nine from Jim and eight from Chase Wolf, and then two from Louis Hadwan off the bench. So not an unreasonable spread of scoring, but and get four guys into double figures and a handful more chip-ins than, than they got, and those numbers soon stack up. And yeah, as we kind of said this time last week, there was I didn't see a roadmap for this game to turn out any way other than this one. The only question I still have remaining is, I wondered this when Wiesbaden were up by one after um, the first quarter. How many times all season have Thuringen actually lost a quarter? Because hmm. I think there's a top out at like eight quarters all season. Yeah, I don't even think it's that. Um, I'm gonna gonna go and have a have a troll through some stat sheets at some point. I think. But well, they must have lost a couple against Landil. Um, I think it, like it, a few against Landil over the season. I think they lost one or two against us for us to be in a game with them because they blew us out at one point in a run. So like it would make sense yeah, that we exactly. won a quarter. Um, Hanover might have taken one off them or a couple off them. Alunion, yeah, that that's roughly 15, what, what, I think. what I landed on. Um, also, there was the um, there was a thing where Porto Torres were at like 12 12 with them at one point in the first quarter, and then I think that quarter ended 25 12. So yeah, I remember, like, I remember being the, the, the side of that court 
uh in that game and i was like i could do they get 100 or not and we were like going back and forward and it was like yeah they got 114 <laughs> cleared it <laughs> yeah um so yeah bulls advance on to german league finals where they will play landale at least twice and at least twice yeah yeah man, they, they've got fully three that'll be fun yeah they've got home court for that one um obviously we saw that famously end last year with um Tommy Boma hitting the free throw on the Bulls' home court to win it for for Landil. Yeah, Landil, who were Landil, who cut down both of Turingen's nets, which I love. Yeah, <laughs> just out of spite. Cut down uh, one, and have a couple of beers. Cut down the other one an hour later. I love it. <laughs> That's the move. All right. And yeah, for Rhinos, um, they're not in Euro Cup because they didn't enter, so their season is officially over, and we will presumably see them again next year in some form or fashion uh hopefully with the turkish guys in it for the full run this year and not having to be mid-season drop-ins yeah i think that it'd be great to see them actually get to have a pre-season and sort of build on what they've done because i think like obviously they came in had one game and then beat landell the second game we were like all right cool these guys are obviously going to help but i think you just having to make that adjustment on the fly in February is nuts. So be cool if they get a full preseason, if they all kind of stick together. Don't know. I don't know what's happening, but yeah. Cool. cool. Right. Should we do the belt before we get Should out we of here? the belt. Okay. So hear me out. There are a couple of candidates. There are a couple of games that are quite important. But I think if you have like 28 and 11 in a game that goes 94, 91, and you let me stay in your house, I think you deserve the belt. Um, I don't know if you have any other thoughts or any other candidates. There obviously were a couple of big games across the board in Germany and Spain, but for some reason, closing out the playoffs doesn't feel as important as, like, I don't know. I feel like once Landil and Durgan won the first game, we were both like, yeah, these are going in two. But... I don't know. Yeah, what do you think? I, uh, I was going to go Greg anyway. My only other candidate was going to be Guntner because I thought him pulling Landil ahead for good is kind of a... I think it shows the progress that he's made in the season so far um, yeah. and how they've really, you know, his young guy come into Landil and they've fully um, not handed him the keys because there's obviously a lot of ball handling and stuff on that team, but they've fully change their identity up to work around him and to great success. But I also think Greg was as important to that win for Illunion as anybody. And yeah, he crucially is letting you stay there and we should encourage that kind of behavior if nothing else. Nice. There's the belt and the sign bite in one. Nailed it. Cool. <laughs> All right. Um, that's us done. Uh, thanks very much for listening. We'll be back later on in the week, hopefully. And yeah, talk to you soon. Have a good week. Uh, from Belgium in a few days' time. All being well. Fingers crossed. Peace. Bye.